welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about aristocratic jizz so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. Joining us to discuss the first book in the Bridgerton series are Anna and Aline of our sister podcast, Bellwether Friends, and together we are The Worst Best Friends. Yeah, we are. Yay! Yay! Thanks Welcome for back. joining us again, guys. Uh, Anna pointed out before we started recording that the last time we recorded together, which was for the um, royal family, but in the America and the Revolutionary War never happened or whatever book, uh, <laughs> was literally the day that the lockdown started, or uh, the day before the lockdown started in Massachusetts. Yeah. So yeah. it's been almost exactly a year. <laughs> Still in lockdown, still reading about, um, not quite royalty, I guess. They're still reading about rich people with too much power. Yeah. Yeah. It's evergreen. (laughs) Thank you. We are always so excited to be here. I was counting our visits and had completely blocked out the American royals. (laughs) So (laughs) thanks for remembering. Oh... I'm cursed with not being able to forget some of the things that we read. (laughs) Although I I remember feeling neutral about that book. Yeah, I feel like it wasn't the worst thing we read with you guys. (laughs) And and neither is this. This isn't the worst. I feel neutral about this, too. I feel neutral about it. Um, Okay, I guess before we get too into it, we should say there is a, a content warning for this that also applies to the Netflix series. And... I do feel like a lot has been made of this on online circles. So per, if you're familiar with the book, you probably already have heard that there are some um, consent issues, really weird sexual assault scene in this book. And we'll talk, we're going to get there. But if you aren't familiar, just heads up, that's coming. And it's really bewildering. Yeah. Anyway, I guess... Um, so, of course, the Bridgerton Netflix series dropped in, in December and kind of took the internet by storm. And, you know, people who hadn't read the books were really into the show. People who had read the books also seemed to be into it. Like, So maybe we should just start by giving um, a little intro to our own starting point of familiarity with um, Bridgerton and Julia Quinn and, and the Duke and I. All right, I can start with that. Um, probably unsurprisingly to folks who listen to this show and know what my media habits are, and extra unsurprisingly to people who subscribe to our Patreon newsletter and know how little media I have consumed over the past year. Um, I was not familiar with these books prior to this. Uh, I was actually didn't even realize like what that Bridgerton was based on anything until the hubbub started online. Uh, I've watched exactly one episode, which I watched like two hours ago, um, and it was fine. And, you know, if if we weren't living in the during times, maybe I would even finish it. But probably I'm going to watch that Cecil Hotel documentary instead. Ooh, I want to see that, too. Yeah. I'll go next. I, as Renata just pointed out to me, am a Julia Quinn hipster. Mm-hmm. And I was reading her novels before she started on the Bridgerton saga. She has a handful of standalone rom- historical romances that I read and enjoyed. And so when the Bridgertons happened, I was like, woo, another family saga, like Stephanie Lauren's Sinsters, but funny. 
Um, but I had not read them in the last however long it's been since they were written because I read them as they were released. And I have feelings. Uh, we watched the Bridgerton Netflix series on Christmas Day, the day it dropped. It was like, okay, that's, this is our Christmas present to ourselves. We're going to watch mm-hmm. it. And we really enjoyed it. And it was horny. And it was um, fun. And it had a lot of beautiful people in it. Yep. Yes. Yeah. agreed um i read maybe the first four books in the series Uh, i read the first one and then i wanted to find out who lady whistledown was so i just kept reading until that point spoiler alert i guess um and then after that i was like okay i'm done i guess i'm done here (laughs) i did enjoy the series um i thought it was a little bit weird in how it adapted some things but you know i like i like costume dramas and fancy ball scenes and sex sex so it was nice to revisit yeah um so i it's hard for me because i i feel defensive like so many things on this podcast make me feel defensive on behalf of people who like this, because I know that this kind of like Regency romance and costume drama and romance novels, like they're often derided, especially by male critics. Um, But also separately, they're really not my particular cup of tea either, but I feel like I need to go in circles and be like, and it's not that I think they're bad and trashy or whatever. Like, I think it's perfectly valid if you like them, but I think they are boring usually. Um, So that's where I'm at. And this book actually, right around the time we were recording together in last March, probably, I'd signed up for this exchange that was like, let's support local bookstores and like kind of a March or April secret Santa type thing where you got a random person and you sent them a book you thought they would like from like a local bookstore to support that bookstore. Anyway, my secret book Santa sent me the Duke and I and I got it and I was like, well, I'm happy to support the bookstore, but like, I don't really think I'm going to read this. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and it, it did have, and so this was maybe early on in kind of the Netflix hype. Like it does have that little sticker on it that's coming to Netflix with the Netflix logo. And I was like, okay. And I just sort of capped it on my shelf. And then when we decided to do it for the podcast, I was like, well, at least I have it. Um, and so it's not a genre that I tend to enjoy. I hadn't read any of this author's works. And then like Kate, I, I, I went to turn on the show to watch it just to be a little familiar with it for the podcast. And I definitely liked it more than I thought I would based on sort of my baseline enjoy. I, I guess I should say, maybe I did think I would like it more because it's been so well reviewed and I knew that, you know, it's Shonda rhymes and it's diverse and it's, you know, very, um like light on its feet as an adaptation to the extent that like i was like okay i'll just put in one episode and and watch that and when it was over i was like oh i guess it's only half an hour i guess i'll watch two but it's not it's not really it just was like so fast moving i was just in it and i don't like i was like okay i'll watch two i guess and um and then i stopped because it was bedtime but uh, i think the show is and again, I'm, I don't, you can tell that this show is adapting from all the books in the series, or at least more than just this one. There's characters in the show who aren't really in this book. Um, but I, I enjoyed the adaptation. I thought it was like really cleverly done from what I saw, which is only a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah. I think, 
as as fans of the genre in general, we're like, great. I'm glad that you adapted this 20 year old um product. Now go ahead and adapt something newer by an author of color. Thank you very much. Yeah. Alyssa Cole and Netflix when, please. Yes. I literally was about to say Alyssa Cole. Um, yes, please. But uh, one thing I do want to circle back to was uh, Aline called this horny. And I was like, yes, like the show is horny right off the bat. Like almost the first minute of the show is people like fucking in the bushes. And I was like, yeah. And I feel like with, um, with this and um, Fox Hill Court, I feel like we've had this kind of string of books for the podcast where I've been like, all right, we're going to do a horny book. And then I read it and I'm like, this wasn't actually that horny. Like I'm, I'm giving myself, I don't know, podcast book blue balls where I'm like, I want to read something horny and it's just not. And so we got to line Meredith up to read another Sarah Mass book with us. It sounds like. Yes. And you know what? And Sarah Mass had a new book out. And that's another thing, by the way, I had that sitting on my shelf, just like looking at me. I was like, I can't read that until I read the Duke and I, and that's, (laughs) so yeah. (laughs) So at least I have that to look forward to. Um, I I just want to echo to something that Renata said that I do think I I hope at least that we do a pretty good job of despite the fact that a lot of times we read books that are not necessarily in our wheelhouse um, that we manage to talk about their relative quality without dissing on the genre as a whole. Uh, It is something that I too like try to be very wary of because I I have like really niche interests for certain things um and that doesn't mean the things i don't like are bad especially things that i don't like that are traditionally considered quote-unquote feminine um and i i do i do want to echo that from renata that like this isn't something that i ever would pick up myself not because i think it's bad but because i mostly read books with ghosts in them and that's fine renata's not going to pick up you know a book with ghosts in it well, a good a grisly book with ghosts in it, yeah. you know, and that's also fine. I'm not, I'd never read that as her judgment of my tastes. And I hope that none of you read this as any judgment of your tastes, I guess. Yeah. Broadly. I think, I think especially like with the popularity of Bridgerton, I feel like it's not impossible that for some people, this might be their first episode that they're listening to. So I wanted, I just wanted to reset and be like, you know what? Like a lot of people like the genre is not a bad genre. It's just like not necessarily for me um, i actually i went on a rant to my roommate because when i was googling a summary of this book um because like the back cover didn't really give me anything substantial to work with one of the first things that came up was a review from someone who starts out by being like well i don't normally read romance novels because i don't like books where the women are like weak and fainting and they need big huh. strong men to come save them with their throbbing penises and okay. blah, blah, blah. and i was like i have to close this because i don't know this person but i hate them <laughs> I already right. Well, y'all are going in the right direction, definitely having us, because we are tried and true historical romance reading fans, and we don't think that you're bad, and if you thought that we were bad, (laughs) then we would probably be able to ignore it. So thanks for having us, and we are happy to provide the pro-romance viewpoint. This is why we're the worst best friends, right? Yay! Um, Okay, so speaking of things that I wouldn't normally read, like... Much has been made on this podcast and in my life that I'm, I have a sensitive little brain and I do not like reading murder or watching murder or anything like that. And, and so this book, I started reading it before bed one night and it, 
it starts with this prologue of our hero Simon's abusive childhood. And it w- that shit was dark. And I read it before bed. And then I had Bridgerton nightmares afterwards. <laughs> so, like, that's where my bar is. So, when people are like, oh, it's not, like, that scary. I'm like, okay, but is it as scary as the prologue to Bridgerton? Because <laughs> that's where my bar is at. <laughs> Bridgerton uh, nightmares sounds like a great spinoff for Kate. <laughs> yes. Bridgerton nightmares by R.L. Stein. <laughs> Um, so let's, I guess let's delve into this book a little bit. Um, like Renata said, it starts with a, a flashback to our hero, Simon, who has like 17 names. I'm just going to call him Simon. I'm sorry. Fake yeah. royalty aristocrat. I don't know yeah. your titles. Um, <laughs> well, he is the Duke, but not in the flashback. In the flashback, he's a little baby. Yes, but he's a baby. He, and He will become the titular Duke. Uh, his mother dies in childbirth and his father, as many, I feel, uh, stereotypes, or maybe it actually was of this time, uh, dudes with titles are, was like really obsessed with getting an heir and he was stoked that even though his wife died tragically in childbirth, it was to birth a boy. But then he realizes that the boy has not spoken and now he's like three or four years old. And then when Simon does speak to his father, uh, he has a stammer and the father is furious that he has a uh, i guess also we should have warned for ableist language Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um because the father really drives home that he thinks that simon is stupid and worthless and will never amount to anything in life because he has a stammer Mm -hmm. and i don't i mean i i have to admit obviously i i live in the year of satan 2021 so i don't know if this is a thing Um, But was that like, I don't, I don't, I can't make the connection, but sure. I guess this guy thought that he was stupid because he had a stammer, Uh, but he uh, manages. I I guess with him being like slow to speak, like, you know, he was older for his age when he started speaking. And then, you know, there have been even, there've been articles lately about how our, our current president, Joe Biden had a stutter and how it you know people would interrupt him or just because he couldn't say the things that he wanted to say people assumed he didn't have anything to say and i you know i i I buy that especially some sort of like strict old man would would find this to mean that his son was was somehow lacking yeah i do feel like maybe i have too rosy a view of humanity as a whole in that (laughs) regard (laughs) Well, and there and there is a lot of language, even from the sympathetic characters, about how he's overcome his mm. stutter and how he's really gotten past that thing, and it's kind of off-putting. And also that he is on the very precipice of plummeting back into that morass of horror. Right. Yeah. That's how he feels, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so his father basically is like, I have no son. And he tells everyone that his son died. Um, yeah. But meanwhile, you know, Simon is alive and he like tricks his way into boarding school by just showing up and being like, well, I am the Duke's son. Like, of, there must be some issue. Of course I'm enrolled here. And everyone's like, oh, my God, you're right. Pro- of course you're enrolled here. It's our fault. We're so sorry. We'll enroll you immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just, I laughed a lot at that. Yeah, I liked that a lot. 
Yeah, and I think, like, I think the prologue does, it's short, and it does a good job of giving you, like, who Simon is. He's, like, very smart and very stubborn, and, you know, and this is the trauma that he's been through, and this is what he did anyway, and here he is. He's Simon. Yes, Um, and his father has recently died, so he is going back to London for the first time since he was a wee little child when his father first realized he had a stammer and sent him away. Um, and meanwhile, also, I want to interject real quick in the show, um, Simon and his father are black. And of course in the book, everyone's white, 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 but in the show they're black. And I thought that did add a, a little extra kind of wrinkle to it where, where the dad was like, you know, we have to be, we have to overcome, we have to be even like better than the white people because they're just like waiting for us to slip and, you know, lose our position in society. And, you know, like the dad is still a dick and I'm not saying like I felt sympathetic for him, but it made it, it made it a little bit more understandable. And that, you know, that is something that you hear a lot where like people of color have to do twice as well just to be acknowledged at at any level. So so I I thought that, that casting and that because the show it's not it's not colorblind casting it's like color sensitive casting right and i thought this made sense for for this family to be black and for that to impact simon and his sort of role the way that it did so yeah so meanwhile um the big the time in the i'll have you two step in and explain what what it's called when all the girls come and everyone tries to get them husbands i'm sure there's a word for it the season? Yes, the season. I knew it was right there. <laughs> the season is starting, uh, and the Bridgerton family, who have eight children who are named alphabetically, which is so charming to me, um, Daphne, who's the oldest daughter, is it's trying to out- get out there and get a husband, but because, like, all the guys, probably because she has four, three older brothers. Daphne's um, in the friend zone eternally. 100% all the guys are like oh, I love talking to you you're so great you're such a good friend I could never marry you uh, and the only person who's left is this really pushy dude who she absolutely does not want to marry and will not leave her alone uh, and she's very miserable at this fact um, and meanwhile her mother is obviously like pushing her to get married and also pushing she sends both her and her older brother to these parties with like a list of suitable candidates for marriage that they should like yeah her mother's not like full-on lady bennett but that's the comparison i had in my mind is she's she's very pushy yeah Um, she's definitely got a mrs bennett vibe going on and um i agree but she's not quite as doofy yeah yeah and and you uh, like I find I find Mrs. Bridgerton more likable. Like she does, she does genuinely want her kids to be happy, and she, you know she doesn't necessarily want Daphne to marry someone terrible just because he's available. But she does also understand that like because of the patriarchy, she does got to get married. So like let's get it done. Yeah. So so this guy who won't leave her alone uh, has cornered her outside and is begging. He's very drunk and he's begging her to marry him. And Simon, who is also at this party, is walking by and hears this happening and thinks like, oh, God, like, is this a dude who's about to assault a woman? Like, I need to step in, even though I really don't want to. Um, But just as he's about to step in, he sees Daphne punch this guy in the face (laughs) and knock him down. 
and uh, starts laughing because it's so delightful to him. And uh, she hears him and they have like a little conversation about what's been going on with this guy and like how he won't leave her alone. And she's like, are you laughing at me? And he's like, no, you're just that was just so unexpected and delightful. Um, And he also happens to be best friends with her older brother, Anthony. Uh, So later on, he is Simon's hanging out with Anthony and uh, Daphne comes up and he says to Anthony, like, oh, yeah, like I met her before and I knew it was her because like you and all your siblings look so much alike that I was just like, oh, like you must be Anthony's sister because you look just like all the Bridgertons. Uh, which, you know, and which, cover, covering up that he saw her punch a man. Yes, and um, also that, like, she was talking to a man unaccompanied, yes, I'm sure. A scandal. By the way, Shocking. the pacing of this book, my my strategy for the podcast is, like, I'll read the book once through and maybe make highlights or take notes of, like, lines that I want to talk about, and then I'll skim it again to make a chapter-by-chapter chapter outline to help me, like, remember for the podcast. And it was so frustrating doing a chapter-by-chapter chapter outline of this, because I would skim it and be like, oh, this is the chapter where they dance. I'd write, you know, they dance. And then I would go to the next chapter and I realized like, oh no, this was an entire chapter of him asking her to dance and they didn't dance yet. And chapter five is when they actually <laughs> dance. Like it's just <laughs> agonizing. And, and I understand that this kind of like the back and forth and the banter and the flirting, like that's an appeal factor for some, but I was like, oh my God, like, please can something happen in this book? But it, well, it will eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah, also, one other thing at the beginning, and that, and a lot of the chapters start with little bits of this, is at the beginning, they've all started getting this um, publication dropped at their door from Lady Whistledown, which is like a print gossip girl blog. And, you know, everyone is devoted to reading Lady Whistledown and hearing her observations. And so that's kind of a framing narrative for the story. And sometimes she moves things along that we, no one knows who she really is. I um I just had a, a note about so um the guy who uh, tries to assault her sort of in his way in the hallway she talks about that as a uh, misjudgment on his part when mm-hmm. Simon is like he was trying to assault you and she was like oh it's just a misjudgment so we'll just put a pin in that for later yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um so and and for viewers lady whistledown is revealed at the end of the series and she's not revealed until the end of the fourth book yeah i was also by the way in this we don't see who she is but they describe her at the very end as being a young woman and in the show she's voiced by julie andrews so i don't know i haven't gotten to her reveal yet though um, so uh anyway we're anthony, still at the ball we're still at the first yes. <laughs> so anthony has has warned uh prior to the party has warned simon that like he can't just like show up at a party like very quickly and say hi to the host and then leave because <laughs> he is like a single duke now and all of the moms are gonna want to be shoving their daughters at him and he's like oh like you're overreacting like whatever i'm gonna go anyway and i'll I'll be in and out in five minutes and of course like immediately when he steps into the room everybody sees him and he is presented with like this unending line of eligible young women who he just does not want anything to do with because he has decided which probably should have said before now um because he hates his father so much for how he treated him his life goal is to be the opposite of what his father wants which means you know he's he's not gonna 
settle into the dukedom. He's not going to get married and he's not going to have kids to continue the line. Like it is more important to him that he fuck his father over than anything else. He's obsessed with it. Um, so he's like so exhausted by this parade of women and he ends up asking Daphne to dance mostly like to have them both escape this situation. And as they're dancing, they're, you know, bantering and getting along. And he proposes that they uh, do some fake dating in order to solve both Ooh. their problems. Yay! Which, which is an excellent, excellent trope that I do like. Um, and his thought is that if he is uh, seen to be very serious about Daphne, then other girls will stop throwing, other mothers will stop throwing their daughters at him. And if Daphne is seen to be very serious about him, all the other eligible young men will stop seeing her as a friend and will want to, you know, like, quote unquote, steal her away from a duke. So they're like, this is a fucking brilliant plan. Like, yes, done. We're doing it. Great. Um, so the next day, all of these, of course, uh, men are calling on Daphne for the first time ever. I think she, there's like six of them, and it's the most that have ever come at once. And she's stoked. Uh, and then Simon shows up as the seventh, and he has brought flowers. But the flowers are not for her. They are for her mother, who <laughs> melts at this gesture. And they're both like, yes, like this is going so well. This is perfect. Uh, the person who doesn't think it's perfect is Anthony, who knows that Simon was a rake when they were younger and thinks that he is going to besmirch his sister and break her heart. And so they're like, I guess we should tell him our secret. And Simon's like, no, 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 it'll be fine. We don't need to get anyone else involved in it. And then when Simon like basically tries to, or when Anthony basically tries to like beat Simon up in the middle of the living room, they're like, okay, actually maybe we do need to tell him <laughs> what's going on. Um, Right. So they, they tell him Anthony's still very skeptical because he just doesn't think that this is going to end well for anyone. And he like begrudgingly will go along with it. Um, and Anthony had previously invited Simon to dinner, but like to an informal dinner with the family. So Simon, who grew up like with only with no family to speak of, his father having disowned him, no siblings, no mother, is suddenly thrust into this family dinner where all of the Bridgerton children, including like the littlest ones, are all eating at the same table together with the older ones and Mrs. Bridgerton. And there are peas being thrown back and forth and subjects being <laughs> debated and it's like wild and he is incredibly charmed by the entire concept. And I'm going to take a break to drink some water. If anyone else would like to pick it up for a little while. Well, speaking of water, um, they, the mother invites Simon to join them on their family boating trip to Greenwich the next day. And, then we're, then we're in the, the boating trip and of course like nautical flirting is happening but also Simon and Anthony are just having this like alpha rake pissing contest ongoing where you know Anthony is very protective of Daphne because of the patriarchy and he you know he doesn't trust Simon and they're bickering and it it ends with them both trying to they're like they see that the youngest Bridgerton Gregory is in playing dangerously in the water and they're like fighting to help him first and they both fall in the water and then they're both like 
wet and miserable and that's what happens when you are a grumpy alpha rake i guess <laughs> it's known side effect yeah and so yes. it, it really is just like building up this kind of contentious relationship between simon and anthony he used to be best friends when they were like cool rake bros together but now that now that a woman who's sort of anthony's property is involved now it's all different um, and then we we do have kind of a time jump or like, you know, kind of a montage of we get the sense that they've gone to some other balls and Daphne's realizing that because of their arrangement, sometimes he won't go to the same balls as her because Anthony's like, um, remember the point of this was that Daphne would meet someone else who actually does want to marry her. And she can't do that if you're always there, Simon. And he's like, OK, cool. Bye. But Daphne's like, oh, no, actually, I miss Simon when he's not at these balls. And, like, none of these other men are as good as Simon with his, like, piercing ice blue eyes and his his wit and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so she's sort of realizing that, sh- that even though they're fake dating, the feelings are real. Who could have, <gasps> Who could have seen it coming? Crazy. Um, so they're they're at a ball that Simon isn't supposed to be at and Daphne's like kind of in a huff because she does miss him and um, then one of her other younger brothers comes around and is like oh you're so sad because Simon's not here and she's like no I'm, I'm normal and he's like oh but like Simon is here like why aren't you with him and she's like no he's not like stop fucking with me like you're not gonna make me like look over there I know he's not here he's like no he really definitely is And surprise, Simon has magically appeared and is there. Um, So the two of them um, dance and they bump into this old guy who Daphne's like, oh, like I was talking to this old other Duke who's an old man who said that he was like really close with your father. Simon at this point, of course, because that's how these things go. No one ever talks to each other about anything. Has not mentioned to her really that he hates his father or any of that backstory. Um, so she's like, yeah, like this guy who knew your father came up and was talking to me about how great your father was. And then he gets really angry and she doesn't understand why, because he's not said anything to her. Yeah. Simon um, is like cartoon cat hissing about it. And she's like, yes. <laughs> and they, they see the old man Duke and he's like, oh, like I um, have these letters that your father wrote to you that he gave to me to try and get to you. I was with him when he died. And like, what do you want me to do with them? And Simon's like, I'll burn them and walks away because he's so mad. And the guy's like, I don't want to burn them. And Daphne's like, yeah, that seems silly. Maybe he doesn't want to read them now, but he probably will one day. And the old guy's like, well, what if I gave them to you? And she's like, well, I, I'm, that's not, uh, I, that's probably not a great idea for reasons that I can't elaborate on because everyone thinks that this is real, but actually it's a whole charade and uh and he's, he's like, like i'm very old i'm gonna die any minute um <laughs> and I, you know and i don't want these letters to go astray so i'll give them to you okay and she's like uh okay okay if you're if you're on death's door okay i guess yes um so she goes outside and finds simon i think that's how they get outside they both end up outside yeah they need and- they need to take some air Yes, because Simon's so mad about this old man who knew his father. Um, And while they're out on the balcony, uh, after Simon at this point also has realized that he, like, even if he doesn't know if he's in love with Daphne, he definitely wants to fuck her real bad and has since the start. But, like, 
even when he first met her after she punched that guy in the face, he was like, oh, I do want to fuck this girl. And then he realized that she was Anthony's sister. And he's like, I can't fuck her. And now he super can't, but he super wants to. And <laughs> she kind of like also leans into it and they start making out, which is of course like highly like she, she is would be a ruined woman if anyone saw this happening. Uh, especially because he gets real handsy and like pulls down the top of her shirt. Like they are like full on going for it behind the hedges until Anthony shows up and starts beating the shit out of Simon for ruining his sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then Anthony's like, okay, well, since you've already ruined her, either propose immediately or we will have to duel. And Simon's like, of course, I I vowed that I would never marry what part of that didn't you understand? Like, we're not getting married. And Anthony's like, okay, duel it is. And then they all, like, they're like, okay, duel, like, tomorrow, Weehawken, guns, dawn. Not exactly. Weehawken, because they're in England. But, you know, it's <laughs> whatever. They're, like, at the dueling grounds. Be there. And Daphne's like, what the fuck? Like, why are men like this? And then, so she's kind of stewing about it, and she realizes she has to do something. And so she, like, races... there's a part where she has to like figure out where the dueling groans are and she does and then she like races there on horseback and it's like very dramatic like they've started counting out their paces and they're like about to do the duel and she's like you absolutely can't do this this is you know i wouldn't be able to live with myself if i one of you died because of me and simon says and she's like and simon like i'll be ruined because other people probably saw us in those hedges and like no one will ever marry me and like you know that i need to get married and have a family and he says well like i i want you to be happy but i can't have children but if you still want to marry me i guess i guess i will marry you instead of being shot by your brother i guess and it's like grudging but she's like yes okay fine like okay you can't have children but like who knows maybe it'll be a miracle maybe miraculously you will have children and let's get married hooray i would like to thank hamilton right here for making duels much more part of the 21st century conversation (laughs) i always felt very isolated in my understanding of duels as a lifelong romance reader and Uh now that hamilton like hit the big time i feel like i can reference duels in my everyday life and it's okay yeah people know the dual commandments yeah yeah Uh, so she Daphne is equal parts excited and nervous because like she does know that Simon kind of got backed into this against his will but also like she does really have feelings for him and she does really want to marry him and of course she has to act super excited because everyone thinks that this is a love match that's been brewing for forever um and she the first time she sees Simon after this he has brought her a ring uh, and again, like, she's like, ah, oh, he's doing this out of obligation until he says that he, like, picked it out special just for her because he didn't want her to have a ring from the estate that had belonged to someone else. He wanted her to have a ring that was specifically chosen with her in mind. And he got this emerald ring because it reminds him of her eyes. And she's like, my eyes are brown. And he's like, no, there's a ring of green around the outside. And she's like, no, there isn't. And then she looks in the mirror and is like, oh, I guess you're right. She's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, and, I don't and know. Again, I feel like this is a moment of, like, oh, he sees me, you know? And these are yeah. the kind of, like, little moments that, moments that, like, a romance is built around. Like, he sees me, and he knows the color my eyes are, 
and they're partly the color of this beautiful, giant, expensive emerald that he has purchased for me. Yes, and it absolutely does read that way in the book. But I, as a person who I don't think would, like, I know what my eyes look like. I guess they had, few, maybe they had fewer mirrors back then in the old timey times. I don't know. Yeah, mirror, I mean, mirrors were really expensive, but they were rich. So I don't know. But yeah, so she has this uh, this ring and it's great and she's so excited. And uh, the night before the wedding, Mrs. Bridgerton is like, okay, the time has come for me to tell you the things that women need to know when they get married. And Daphne has been fucking waiting for this moment. She is stoked. Uh, Mrs. Bridgerton looks like she would rather have her fingernails pulled out than have this conversation uh, and goes on to give Daphne the vaguest possible explanation of what will happen on her wedding night, which is that her husband will come to her bed and do the marital acts. (laughs) Yep. Okay. Got it. Thanks. (laughs) That doesn't sound so bad. Yes. And by the way, I just want to say like, I know that this is such a, the book really hinges on Daphne being 100% clueless about sex at all. And I know that on one level, you know, Victorian Edwardian, like, like this era was kind of repressed in terms of what was acceptable to publicly talk about with sex. But at the same time, First of all, through, one thing we haven't talked about is throughout the book, anytime any issue comes up, Daphne's like, I know about that because I have brothers. Like, I, and also weirdly, she keeps being like, I would think Simon was hot, but I've grown up with these hot brothers around me, so I'm like immune to hotness, which is weird. It's a weird take that she expresses multiple times. But anyway, she's always <laughs> like, oh, my brothers. Like, I know all about like how to punch a man in the face because I have brothers. Um, but I know literally not a single thing at all about sex. And I understand that, you know, she wouldn't have learned it in school or whatever. But also, you know, they have an estate. They have horses. Like, you've never seen, like, an animal have well, two animals. You've never seen animals have sex. Like, you've never seen anything. You've never, like, overheard any. Like, she truly has literally no idea in the slightest. But also, she does know about how to, like, track her periods. So, like... She know like the the what she doesn't does not know is so plot convenient and annoying. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I think the Regency era was much less repressed than the succeeding eras, which was sort of a reaction to the um, yeah Georgian was super louche, yeah. and then Regency a was tightening uptight. a little bit, and then um, Edwardian got tighter, and Victorian was the tightest. So anyway, <laughs> super uptight. It, but anyway, there's no excuse for her not to know like more than she knows, especially since she has brothers. Yes, who we've yeah. heard all about. Hot brothers. Hot brothers. <laughs> super hot. Uh, that wasn't something that I particularly noticed or bothered me. Um, but I, I do want to say this other thing that that this other part of the conversation that they have before Mrs. Bridgerton manages to get away, which is that <laughs> she's she explains that like the marital act, quote unquote, is what leads to having children. So quite naturally, uh, Daphne's like, oh, so you did it eight times. And her mother's like totally scandalized and like can't even like so shocked that she would say this and she's like well you literally just said that the marital act is how babies happen and there are eight of us so and she's like well i did it more than eight times because sometimes you just do it because it's fun and then like leaves okay bye (laughs) which was very funny um 
they have their wedding and you know it's whatever and they have like a kiss in front of everyone and it's real risque by i guess kiss standards for then and uh they're headed out to one of um simon's estates because they don't have they didn't have time to plan a honeymoon uh and Daphne discovers that they won't be getting there that night. They're not going to get there till the next day. They're going to stay at an inn for the night. And she's real put out because she has been anticipating her wedding night. And Simon, meanwhile, is like, oh, well, I don't want to like do it for the first time with you in an inn. So we're going to get two separate rooms. And then like, we'll have our wedding night when we get back to the estate. Except there's only one room left at the inn. Uh, Yep classic um so she she confronts simon when they're in the inn in their one room that they have uh because she has put knowing only that the marital act leads to children simon can't have children and simon seems in her eyes to be avoiding having this wedding night consummation with her she is under the impression that uh he can't perform the marital act and that's why they won't be able to have children uh, so she confronts him about that and he gets very offended. And it's like, buddy, you, you've done nothing to dissuade this. And you're like, well, can't have children. And also like, we're, we have to sleep in separate bed chambers. Like my dude, um, but explains <laughs> that like, no. And then like really shittily is like, there's lots of different reasons people can't have babies. Anyway, let's have sex now. And they do. Uh, and she's into it. Mm-hmm. and then they go to the estate and they have sex like a lot but more. I, I want to say they have sex she's into it like she comes and then he pulls out and comes into the sheets oh yes that's important is, yeah which is observed this is why at the beginning we said this book is about jizz this book is extremely about jizz in a way that i was not prepared for but so <laughs> she doesn't know that it's weird that he's like coming into the sheets but she observes it and she's just like i guess that's what sex is like a man puts his dick in me and then he puts some kind of fluid on the sheets and then we go to like no questions so question procedural question how does one prepare for a book that is full of semen if you weren't prepared, how how would you have prepared? That's a good point. Um, <laughs> you know, you got to. She hydrate. obviously would have you gone to a farm. I don't know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. So they're back at the estate, and they are. Um, Daphne, after they've had sex like nonstop for like a week, Daphne's like, we should probably leave the bedroom now, and decides to go around and meet all the staff. Um. Because, like, now she's the lady of the house and uh, she meets one of the staff members who's maybe the housekeeper. She's like the um, head, uh, yeah, like the main housekeeper. Yeah, the, the head of the house. And she used to be uh, Simon's mother's personal maid. Um, like, from her youth, she came with Mrs. Simon's mother to the estate when Mrs. Simon's mother married Mr. Simon's father. Um, and she exposes Simon's tragic backstory, uh, about his father being terrible and the stammer and, uh, you know, him not feeling loved and, you know, she feels very bad about him, but she also about that, but she also now can't stop looking at his mouth waiting for him to stammer, which he notices. Well, okay. Um, And also though, also when, um, 
what's the maid's name? I wrote it down. When she is talk, the housekeeper is talking to Daphne. She says something like, "Oh, I'm sure like you guys will have great kids, though." And she says something like, uh, "A healthy seed will create a strong child," or like some something about seed. And Daphne like files that away and doesn't really understand it because she doesn't know what it is, but she like files that phrase away in her head to pop back up later. Yes. Um, so they are having sex right after all of his tragic backstory was declared. Um, and she tells him that she loves him for the first time and he's very moved by it, but can't say it back yet. And she notices like they have really great sex. And then once again, he pulls out and comes on the sheet and it like her, the wheels in her brain start turning. And like the thing that the housekeeper said about the seed and her knowledge of the marital act makes babies. And all of this like comes to a head in her mind and she confronts him and says like, Oh my God, you lied to me. Like you, it's not that you can't have kids. You won't have kids. And he's like, well, that's basically the same thing. I didn't lie to you. I told you. I told you what what I was about before we got married and you decided to marry me anyway. And she's like, well, no, you very obviously did not because you made it very clear to me that you could not have children, not that you were choosing not to have children. They have a huge fight about it. Um, And she leaves the room uh, and starts sleeping in another bedroom, which he's really mad about. And he goes out and gets drunk one night because he's so mad about it. And she basically is like, has yelled at him multiple times about how, like, he thinks that he's doing all of these things to show it to his father when really it's just proof that his father is continuing to rule his life from beyond the grave instead of just like forgetting about his father and doing whatever he wants because he wants to do it he's basing his entire life around not doing what his father would expect or want um so the night point by the way it's a good point from daphne she's the go ahead i was i was just gonna say um yes he is allowing his father to like dictate his life even though he's trying to live in opposition to his father but it's like the same night that he goes out and gets drunk and like they she they they allow no time to pass before taking all these drastic actions yes soon the pacing soon to be in, revealed the pacing in this book is wild because it's like seven chapters all at the same night of one ball and then time jump and then they're married like and then no time at all between like this big confrontation and then what happens next right she's like well he knows what he has to do to fix it but actually they haven't had any conversations beyond shouting at each other and him running off to get drunk so yeah yeah um so he does show up at her new room that she has taken drunk like falling down drunk like wildly drunk uh and he's too big and heavy and strong for her to bring him back to his bedroom so she lets him like come and sleep in her bed to sleep it off and she wakes up like the next morning well a few hours later because it is basically morning when he shows up drunk um and sees that he is aroused and she's like oh like this is great like he's half asleep but like he's turned on because i'm here and like by touching him he's getting really into it and like i like how powerful this feels that like i feel like i'm the one controlling his arousal and it's great 
and he wakes up and like urges her on is like yeah like let's do this and she climbs up on him and they're going at it and she realizes that he is too drunk and not in a good physical position to pull out like he normally does Mm -hmm. so here's where we enter the murky grounds of the sexual assault in this book and whether or not the text thinks it's a sexual assault, whether or not we as the reader are meant to think it's a sexual assault and whether we as the reader should think it's a sexual assault, which are three Uh, different things. I feel like it's written in a sexy way. Yes. And it is, go on. Is disturbing. Yes. Um, And it does do the thing that some books that we've read that, that flirt with this idea of, ignoring people when they say no and and other consent issues where like in the next scene after he gets very angry about her doing this to him he's like well I did want it and I wasn't really upset about it and I did urge her on and I did really like it and it did feel really good and I I am kind of happy it happened even though I don't want her to get pregnant so well, I think also this book has spent so much time driving home the concept that Daphne knows nothing about sex. She doesn't understand it. Within the world of the text, we can't really expect Daphne to understand the concept of consent. Like, she doesn't even, you know what I mean? Like, she doesn't know. She doesn't get it. She she knows that he doesn't want to have a baby. But in her mind, like, it's natural to have a baby. Everyone has a baby. She's supposed to have a baby. Like, I... In the world of the book, you know what I mean? Like, the it is setting us up to be like, all right, like, you get it. But then, you know, it's written in, like, 2001. Like, it's not like, this book isn't even that old. You know, when we talk about kind of, like, old-timey ro- romance that has a lot of, you know, rape as a plot point because you don't want to, sh- you know, I feel like this is sort of almost a response to that of, like, older books where, the the hero rapes the woman because you don't want to show the woman having expressing sexual desire and i feel like julia quinn in her like early 2000s head was like i'm gonna flip the script on that because like daphne has sexual desire but it is a mess and there i have a quote i want to read where i put it um because especially after the show came out and i guess the scene plays out a little differently in the show but there was a lot of of talk about this and so here's a quote from julia quinn who says most readers don't seem to feel that daphne had done anything morally wrong and it was only as years passed and we gained new understanding of consent that people started to question her actions additionally quinn says that due to the historical context of the time where simon owns daphne it is not fair to say that if the genders were flipped it would have been seen because of as rape because of that for Quinn, there are issues based in history that make it more complicated. And we'll link to that. That's from an interview with the Mary Sue. Um, but I feel like that's all side skirting the issue. Like she's saying in the world of the book in this time period, and like, okay, but like, what about the world where you wrote the book and the world where we're reading the book? She has Daphne say no means no in the book. Yes. Earlier. Yeah. With Nigel. Yes. <laughs> no, she said it like, a paragraph earlier yeah when she's talking to simon oh right when he yeah before when she's mad at him and he wants to have sex and she's like no yeah you're right you're right 
it's real messy. And um, I remember originally reading this 20 years ago, or I, I didn't check the date. I don't know what the pub date is. Um, I think it's 99, maybe. Maybe. And I, I remember thinking that it was like no big deal, which is kind of weird. Like I remembered that it happened when it started being talked about again, but I remember it like not being any big deal because the whole point of everyone's life in this period was to uh, procreate. And I don't think that, I mean, obviously I didn't have much awareness because upon rereading, I had found a lot of things to relate to from a child free by choice standpoint, which I was 20 years ago, too. But um, it was, it's kind of strange to think about it and to like see things with new eyes. And this has been a really good example for my brain in terms of updating our assumptions in general. But I won't talk about that because that would take hours. I feel like to me, this gets at the heart of like why in general, I don't love a historical romance novel because, because, you know, it's a fantasy on one level and you do want to kind of modernize it and give the characters sort of a more modern take on like wanting a love match and having, you know, expressing their feelings. And, and you want that kind of with the trappings of like the dresses and the society and all that. But at the same time, like this is 1813 and they have this totally different, like legal and ethical structure that they're living in. And and you kind of just have to like pick and choose of that and be like, well, like, yeah, technically she's his property because they're married, but like, they don't really think about it that way. But also like the entire purpose of their society really necessitates having children. And it's just like such a requirement that like they, it's this different framework where within the world of it, you're like, yeah, of course she wants a baby. And like, of course it's terrible that he for any reason would not want to have a child and I think it is also reinforced because us as the reader, we're like, well, that's not a good reason to not want a child. Like, because, you know, just because of your your bad relationship with your own father and because part of it is like he doesn't want his kid to have a stutter like he does. And, and we as the reader are like, it's actually not that big of a deal. And like, you would still love your baby and it's like not a big deal, but it's clearly a huge deal to him. And, and so that just is, like, to me, the, the mess of it all. And to me, I'm like, why are we even here? Like, don't we just- <laughs> I mean, I, I, I take your point. But also the thing that I keep thinking about is um, I, over the summer, I rewatched all the X-Files. Well, all the good of seasons of the X-Files. Woo! I stopped at the end of season seven. And there are three episodes where the plot line is a man has sex with a woman either when she doesn't realize it or under false auspices and she isn't doesn't isn't mad about it because she ends up pregnant and she always wanted a baby yeah and it's and i remember watching those episodes and thinking they were very fun they're they're all three of them by the way are humorous episodes the point right, of those right, episodes right. is that they are a step out of like the creepy monster of the week and they are more lighthearted. and i remember loving those and watching them like multiple times back in like 1998 or whatever um and i it it is that's what i kept thinking of is like revisiting those now 
in 2020 over the summer i was like jesus christ we thought this was fucking hysterical right the and, the uh, guy with the tail yep and, and the um the frankenstein yeah the share one Prometheus. yep mm-hmm. so yeah Ugh. it's it's just yeah. i feel like when it's presented as and in the end everyone got what they wanted and they were happy it's just easy for your brain prior to a more nuanced understanding of consent that has developed over the years as a light has been shined on it to be like, well, everyone got what they wanted. No one was really upset or traumatized by it. So it was fine. Well, and this book, um, we haven't gotten there yet, but when they, when they have a conversation and he finally is like, I guess I shouldn't let my father rule my choices. Then Three hours later, he's like, are you ready for a nine-month commitment? Let's go. Like, yeah. it's, it's a really fast turnaround where he's like, well, I guess I do want children. Let's get started. Yeah. Which, yeah. yeah, I guess I should say this isn't the end of the book. There's still a few more chapters. So I guess we could return to the plot. If we're, <laughs> yeah, let's if we're finished through. unpacking rape culture for a minute. Although, truly, um, the work never ends. Yeah. So, uh, she he leaves immediately he's like i am he's very angry and he's going to a different state and leaves a note saying like if he turns out you're pregnant let me know so she goes to uh london to the hastings house in london um which which is is which is simon's yeah house he's yeah his house his house in london um so that she can be near her family and she's very devastated and like a few months go by and she thinks she's pregnant. So she sends him a note and says like, Oh, by the way, I'm actually pregnant. Um, so he immediately comes back. Meanwhile, lady Whistledown has been covering in the papers. The fact that even though they had supposedly this beautiful, wonderful love match and we're so happy, she's been alone in London for months. So maybe everything's not so rosy. Um, he gets a letter and he returns and goes to find her and discovers that she is out riding a horse, which pregnant women aren't supposed to do. So he's real mad about it. Um, and in the process of approaching her, she even like falls off the horse and he, uh, cause he has, has startled her. Um, and, and then and startled the horse more importantly. Yes. Um, Just because and, much is made of Daphne being a very skilled horsewoman, And it's like, not yes. her fault. So he like goes to her and she says like, actually, I'm not pregnant. I thought I was, but then, you know, I got my period. So I'm not actually pregnant and you don't have to worry about anything. And uh, they decide to have a conversation finally (laughs) (laughs) Um, about like everything that's happened and why and like his him letting his father rule his life and as uh as was said earlier basically immediately he's like yeah, that's a very good point let's go have sex and make a baby right now um which is is uh thwarted briefly by all of her brothers showing up to like i guess beat up simon for being mean to their sister mm-hmm. and then she's like no it's it's fine like we're in love now it's okay everything's okay now and um, this is when simon first says out loud that he loves her yes uh so they go off and they have sex and it's great and it's perfect because he's not thinking about his father and having to pull out he's just thinking about how great she is and they uh flash forward to the epilogue and it turns out that they've now had four children and they have been doing the bridgerton alphabetical naming conventions 
and their fourth child is a son and they're so excited and happy that they have a family and you know if they even if the baby does have a stutter it'll be fine because they'll love him anyway the end she does um in between the time when they have sex to like uh reunite and the time that they decide to have sex to start making babies she's like i have these letters from your dad (laughs) yeah that's right yeah and you and you think you're gonna get to know what's in the letters and he's just like no i don't want to read those right now and she's like really and he's like yeah put them away and then they do and then it I don't know. I'm assuming they come up in another. They book came or something. up in the second epilogue. Oh. Um. Jesus. And yeah, they came up in the second epilogue. She reads them for him and is like, "Well, they're just like reports of the estate. They don't say I'm sorry. They don't say anything. They're just like complaints about the tenants." And he's <laughs> like, "Okay, I guess we'll burn them." <laughs> <laughs> wow, his dad sucks. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, it's fine. It was a fine book. I I didn't hate it. Um, it does, like I said earlier on when we first touched upon fake dating, I do love fake dating as a trope. My problem is I hate misunderstanding as a trope. Yeah. And it it is possible to thread that needle. And I have read many things where the needle is threaded and I'm real into it. But... I, I think the easier way to do it is to lean on that miscommunication to draw out the uh suspense of the fake dating so yeah there's actually a, a, a one or two points where simon is like well i can't tell her the truth or at least not all the truth and i'm like why, well, why not, not? Yeah. <laughs> if, if there's, there's not, no if, right if there's no sufficient reason then i don't buy it yeah, it's just, it's it's a lot of people not talking to each other and it making everyone miserable and then they talk and they're not miserable anymore. Yeah. And it, I mean, again, I think part of that is, oh, we're in this like old timey society and like, um, you know, you two can't ever be alone to talk privately and there's certain things that you like just can't say. And I, I think a lot of it is leaning on that and then also like Simon's unprocessed trauma thinking that it's unthinkable to say these things. Yeah, but it's, I, incons- it's inconsistent because they yeah. have like 10 pages alone in the corridor when they first meet. It's like goes on and on and on and they're alone together. And like, so if they can obviously make time for a conversation at any point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I like, you know, I, this is not really my cup of tea. I did. I didn't hate reading this. I think there was some sort of charming banter and you know the the bridgerton family is an appealing family it was like fun to read about them to a certain extent and then it was like okay can we wrap can we wrap it up but that's yeah so revisiting this i think i sort of referenced it earlier that i i wasn't as uh i didn't enjoy it as much as I remembered it with fondness. And I have to say on the record that I owe my famous librarian friend who may or may not be an action figure an apology. Because once she asked me to suggest a relatively recent romance that I thought she might enjoy, and I chose this one, and oh my God, I am so sorry. <laughs> this is this is not a bad book in terms of historical romance, but my friend was asking for something that I thought she might enjoy, and I know her well enough to know that uh, a clumsy turn of phrase would throw her out of the narrative. 
<laughs> oh well. Oh well. I'm you know sorry. What? Like it was probably good for her to have read it anyway, just because now it's it's so zeitgeisty. Yes, yes. I'm sure she's grateful to know what all the Netflixers are talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um well, should we move on to our dramatic readings? Just give you some pure unfiltered doses of Bridgerton. Yeah. I'm going to start. I'm going to read our our very first um, excerpt from Lady Whistledown's Society Papers. The Bridgertons are by far the most prolific family in the upper echelons of society. Such industriousness on the part of the Viscountess and the late Viscount is commendable, although one can find only banality in their choice of names for their children. Anthony, Benedict, Colin, Daphne, Eloise, Francesca, Gregory, and Hyacinth. Orderliness is, of course, beneficial in all things, but one would think that intelligent parents would be able to keep their children straight without needing to alphabetize their names. Furthermore, the sight of the Viscountess and all eight of her children in one room is enough to make one fear one is seeing double or triple or worse. Never has this author seen a collection of siblings so ludicrously alike in their physical regard. Although this author has never taken the time to record eye color, all eight possess similar bone structure and the same thick chestnut hair. One must pity the Viscountess as she seeks advantageous marriages for her brood that she did not produce a single child of more fashionable coloring. Still, there are advantages to a family of such consistent looks. There could be no doubt that all eight are of legitimate parentage. Ah, gentle reader, your devoted author wishes that that were the case amid all large families. Dot, dot, dot. Lady Whistledown Society Papers, 26 April 1813. By the way, is it Viscountess? How do you say that? Yes. Okay. Yes. I thought I remember that from the show, but I'm not familiar with these rankings. By the way, can we say this is the start of the book and it's the society lady being like, well, at least you can tell Mrs. Bridgerton didn't fuck around because her kids all look the same. <laughs> from from minute one we know that no other sperm has created these children oh it's all about the sperm again, again with the jizz <laughs> anyway I think, um, I think anna's up next yeah i have some some witty banter between simon and daphne from chapter six on the topic of rakes um starting with uh simon one of his brows lifted in a rather superior manner, and you wouldn't classify your brothers as rakes. They only think they are rakes, she corrected. There is a considerable difference, Simon snorted. If Anthony isn't a rake, I pity the woman who meets the man who is. There is more to being a rake than seducing legions of women, Daphne said blithely. If a man can't do more than poke his tongue into a woman's mouth and kiss, Simon felt his throat close up. But somehow he managed to sputter. You should not be speaking of such things. She shrugged. You shouldn't even know about them, he grunted. Four brothers, she said by way of an explanation. Well, three, I suppose. Gregory is too young to count. Someone ought to tell them to hold their tongues around you. She shrugged again, this time with only one shoulder. Half the time they don't even notice I'm there. Simon couldn't imagine that. But we seem to have veered away from the original subject, she said. All I meant to say is that a rake's humor has its basis in cruelty. He needs a victim, for he cannot imagine ever laughing at himself. 
You, your grace, are rather clever with the self-deprecating remark. I just don't know whether to thank you or throttle you. Throttle me? Good heavens, why? She laughed again, a rich, throaty sound that Simon felt deep in his gut. He exhaled slowly, the long wish of air just barely steadying his pulse. If she continued laughing, he wasn't going to be able to answer to the consequences. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want to end every dramatic reading with XOXO, Lady Whistledown. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So my reading is at the beginning of chapter 10, which as Renata referenced earlier, there are about four chapters that all happen in the garden outside of a ball. And so we, between chapter nine and chapter 10, we switch from having a conversation to what's going on in Simon's mind as he and Daphne are bantering in the darkened garden amongst the hedges. Simon wasn't sure at what moment he knew he was going to kiss her. It was probably something he never knew, just something he felt. Up until that very last minute, he'd been able to convince himself that he was only pulling her behind the hedge to scold her, upbraid her for her careless behavior that would only land both of them in serious trouble. But then something had happened, or maybe it had been happening all along, and he'd just been trying too hard not to notice it. Her eyes changed. They almost glowed. And she opened her mouth, just the tiniest bit, barely enough for a breath, but it was enough that he couldn't take his eyes off of her. His hand snaked up her arm over the pale satin fabric of her glove, across bare skin, and then finally past the wispy silk of her sleeve. It stole around to her back, pulling her closer, squeezing out the distance between them. He wanted her closer. He wanted her around him, atop him, beneath him. He wanted her so much it terrified him. I think Daphne's a robot. Her eyes are glowing. <laughs> but does her spine in, glow when they have sex? In a darkened garden, her eyes are glowing. I think she might be a cat. Hmm. All right. I think. Am I next? Yeah. Take us home, okay. Kate. All right. Um, so this is this is when Simon is returning to London to find uh, Daphne because he's heard that she's pregnant. Um, and this is just a dumb thing that made me laugh. Um, so here we go. <laughs> Once admitted to Bridgerton House, however, he discovered that Daphne wasn't there. What do you mean? Simon asked in a deadly voice, not particularly, particularly caring that the butler had done little to earn his ire. The Duchess isn't here. The butler took his deadly voice and raised one curled upper lip. I mean, your grace, this was said, no, this was not said with particular graciousness, that she is not in residence. I have a letter from my wife. Simon thrust his hand into his pocket, but damn it, didn't come up with the paper. Well, I have a letter from her somewhere and it specifically states that she has removed herself to London. And she has, your grace. Then where the hell is he? Simon ground out. Uh, so, then where the hell is she? Simon ground out. The butler merely raised a brow. At Hastings' house, your grace. Simon clamped his mouth shut. There was little more humiliating than being bested by a butler. After all, the butler continued, clearly enjoying himself now. She is married to you. Is she not? Simon glared at him. You must be quite secure in your position. Quite. 
Simon gave him a brief nod, since he couldn't quite bring himself to thank the man, and stalked off, feeling very much like a fool. Of course Daphne would have gone to Hastings' house. She hadn't left him, after all. She just wanted to be near her family. If he could have kicked himself on the way back to the carriage, he would have done so. Once inside, however, he did kick himself. He lived just across Gros... Gros... Grosvenor. Grosvenor. He lived just across Grosvenor Square from the Bridgertons. He could have walked across the blasted green in half the time. Time, however, proved not to be particularly of the essence, because when he swung the door to Hastings' house open and stomped into the hall, he discovered that his wife was not at home. She's riding, Geoffrey said. Simon stared at the butler in patent disbelief. She's riding, he echoed. Yes, your grace, Jeffries replied. Riding? On a horse? Simon wondered what the penalty was for strangling a butler. Where? He bit off. Did she go? Hyde Park, I believe. I, Poor Simon. I thought it was funny. The whole thing was just funny. The butler and the crossing the green and the riding. <laughs> I, I, I love a butler with job security. Yeah. <laughs> I think what the dramatic readings indicate that Simon is a much more interesting character than Daphne. And we would rather spend time with him. <laughs> mm. I I would rather spend time with Lady Whistledown above all. No, I want and Lady Danbury. Oh, yes, Lady yes. Danbury! I gotta tell you, if you fell in love with Lady Danbury watching Bridgerton, then you've got a long road ahead of you reading all of the books to cobble together that personality. Because she's, she's present, but she's not the force she is. Yeah, she's barely in the book, but I loved her in the book. All right, let's um, let's move on to readers' advisory and tap into Anna and Aline's depth of knowledge of perhaps more enjoyable Regency romance or other other books that we might recommend that you read instead of or in addition to the Bridgerton series. I had a on the topic of Lady Danbury. There is a Courtney Milan novella called Mrs. Martin's Incomparable Adventure, which features an elderly. Uh, lady and the woman that she becomes involved with um, and I would much rather read that again. Um, I am also going to make a recommendation of just reading or watching To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han again instead if you're looking for that fake dating um, sweet spot and uh, on my last recommendation will be the future publication of the book the Dyke and I, which Aline and I are going to get down to writing just as soon as we get off this podcast. Oh, please do. <laughs> I'll blurb it. <laughs> awesome. Um, Anna left out that there are a variety of audiobooks narrated by the actor who plays Lady Danbury. So mm -hmm. if you like her delivery, you can immerse yourself in it and I am unable to draw her name to my tongue right now but Anna will interject it shortly. As a romance, historical romance reader and fan, I can tell you that you might enjoy the rest of the Bridgerton books if you weren't turned off by The Duke and I. Uh, there are more than eight of them because once they get through all the siblings they do a couple of in-laws and they're um, they're all of a similar tone. Uh, 
Alyssa Cole's Loyal League series are not as funny, but they are sexy and they are set in the American Civil War period. So they're a later time, but they've got spies and adventure going on. Uh, Upon reflection, I find that I like there to be more going on than just the romance. I have enjoyed my spy romances or my, you know, one of them gets kidnapped because of something. I, I don't know what causes it. Uh, and I also like them to be queer. So you can read KJ Charles or Kat Sebastian or Olivia Wilde if you want some 21st century penned queer historical romance that has a better idea of consent than this one. And some other loves of ours are Rose Lerner, Cecilia Grant, and Vanessa Riley, whose debut novel came out last year not her debut novel, whose, whose novel got a lot of attention last year. Um, the actress who plays Lady Danbury is named Adjoa Ando. And we'll have that. We'll have all these up on our website, worstbestsellers.com, under Reader's Advisory. And that is a good life hack when people are like, I want to know a book that's particularly good in audiobook. You can, if you find out who reads one that you liked, you can search the library catalog or search Audible or whatever for that reader's name, and that'll come up as an additional author, and you can find things that way, which is good to know if you if you like the way somebody reads a book. Yeah, and I don't, um, my auditory comprehension is not that great, so I mostly use audiobooks to reread or just to sort of fall asleep to or let wash over me without needing to follow the plot or even being able to follow the plot. So having the right voice is key. Yeah. I will say too, I know on audible and I think also on Libro FM, um, you don't even have to search as a, an additional author. They will let you sort books by narrator. Um, and they will have landing pages for all the narrators, the books that they narrate, uh, which I have used several times because there are some audiobook narrators that I will listen to literally anything they read. Absolutely. Nice. All right. Um, my only recommendation is Gossip Girl, just because Lady Whistledown gave me strong Gossip Girl vibes. And I like that. And I like Gossip Girl. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'll, like, like I said, we'll have all these and some others that we didn't say out loud up on our website, which is worstbestsellers.com. And now we're going to move on and play our favorite game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Anna and Aline will choose which most enhances the book, or they can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. All right. Uh, If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would have punched Simon's father in the face during Simon's youth and told him to stop being such a dick. And hopefully that would marginally have improved Simon's childhood and uh, kind of maybe sidestepped all of these miscommunication issues and secret having as an adult. That would be satisfying to watch. Um, yes. If if Wolverine were in this book, I think he would be um, at the inn where Simon and Daphne stop at the first night of their honeymoon. And he, you know, have, having a pint with the lads or having a pint by himself sulking in a corner. But either way, he would be there. And because he is very uh, blunt in manner, but also very attuned to young ladies in potential distress, 
he would step aside and give Daphne a very inappropriate but very helpful sex talk, which would give her firmer ground to stand on as she attempts to navigate family planning with Simon. Oh, that's a tough one because I really want the dad to get punched, but I also want someone to just tell Daphne what's going on <laughs> because I, uh, I just, boy, sex ed is so important. I, I feel like the Duke was such an entitled guy that maybe he would have just had the rock arrested and thrown off of his property or other sent to Australia, sent to no. Australia. Um, so I really want that to work. I just want him to get punched, but then I want Wolverine to have to, to tell Daphne the way it is. So, um, Aline, just just make the call. Well, you, you, can, you don't have to come to a consensus, by the way. You can each pick differently. Oh, we can pick. Well, I but but we we're both like torn up, and I'm just gonna yeah. go for like informing Daphne. Yeah. Of what someone what. needs to someone needs to do the job that Mrs. Bridgerton was too embarrassed to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but before she got engaged or whatever to Simon. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's no idea. There's no way to fix this. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty flawed. And it's core. We'll, we'll go with a, we'll go with Wolverine. We will state for the general record that while we love the tropes of the fake dating, and um, there was another one that came up. Oh, the oh, there's only one bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are uniformly frustrated by a lack of communication being the only problem. Because it is so easy to just say, hey, I like chocolate cake. And (laughs) just resolve the issue. I do like chocolate cake. I made a vow on my father's deathbed that I would never get married and have children. So if that's a problem for you, you should leave. Right, right. Just say that it's like a stupid vow. Yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway. Sorry. Thanks. Thank you for playing. This does sound like we've moved into the moral of the story. So what does everyone think the moral of this story is? I mean, mine and Wolverine's is that we should uh, support comprehensive sexual education programs. My moral of the story is that I beg you to please talk to other people if you have a problem that involves them. (laughs) And as a segue, if you can't talk to the other person, you should talk to your therapist. My moral is everyone needs therapy. (laughs) And mine is just that you, I I searched the text and there are about 13 occasions where someone is vowing something. You just like, you can't just throw vows around like that because Simon ends up breaking his vow multiple times and that's got to feel bad. So just think before you do it in the first place. All right. Um, and now it's time for, well, normally it's time for a Duarte's corner, but we are actually, Duarte is res- um, giving up his time uh, to Anna and Aline's, one of their cats. Um, now, so we're, we're having Tosca's corner. It's true. She was very mad about this book. I'm not sure why. Well, it was a little frustrating, and I can imagine why she would want to express these feelings of frustration, because Tosca herself knows that open communication is really the best way forward in life. Cats cats are good at communicating their feelings, actually. <laughs> <sighs> 
you know, and this is a book, no, nobody had a cat in this. And of course they all should have um, for pest control, if nothing else. Right. Yep. All right. Well, Tosca, thank you for joining us. Sorry for the lack of cats in the book. And uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts? <laughs> I had one that I'm trying to think of. I did have something else to say. Oh. Uh, I enjoyed rereading this. Um, thank you for having us on. I hope that the popularity of this series and with Netflix means that they will like adapt a whole bunch of romance properties into like season long uh, adaptations. So that would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I, my closing thought is uh, that sometimes TV is better than books. And I think for me anyway, this was a case of that. Yeah. Hooray for TV. <laughs> I am super happy to have that, which is one of my secret librarian opinion, hot takes, bad takes, is that sometimes the visual presentation is better than the book. So thank you, Renata. Yeah. I mean, that that and, and the benefit of having like, you know, 20 years to update the material. Not that Sean has been working on it for 20 years, but just that she could put a fresh spin on the book because it's, it's now instead of then. Yeah. <sighs> And also because Shonda Rams is really good at TV. So there's a, a, oh lot, a lot going for it. <laughs> so good. Uh, she just needs to get together with Alyssa Cole. Please. When? Yes. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for soon. Let's, you know, I, I forgot. We, of course, all know the secret. Let's just keep that on our vision board, obviously. 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 Put it up there right now. Mm-hmm. Let me just get my glue gun. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to um, join us in putting Alyssa Cole TV adaptations on your vision board, or if you have, I don't know, I was going to say if you want to talk about semen with us, but actually probably please don't do that. No, 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 no. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> uh, if you want to talk about cats <laughs> with us, uh, we are extremely online. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we're bestsellers with an S. Uh, on Twitter, we're at Worst Bestseller with no S because the S was redacted for privacy by Lady Whistledown. But, she, you know, she didn't react all of it, so it's pretty easy to tell who we are. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group, which is best accessed by going to our website, which is WorstBestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. You guys know how the internet works. Yeah. You can find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon as a podcast now, any of the podcatchers, you know what they are. Uh, please find us there. Uh, and if you do find us there, uh, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it pushes us up a bit on the charts and makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review, we are going to tell Lady Whistle down all of your deepest, darkest secrets. So mm. don't want to do that. Uh, we do also have a Patreon that you can visit at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service that uh, where you provide a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay our editor, uh, commission artwork for the show, pay our hosting fees, all sorts of things like that. Uh, and in return, you get perks like a newsletter and stickers and access to discount merch. And you can find our merch, our regular merch store, uh, Patreon one is secret for patrons, by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on merch, where you can find things from our podcast to wear on your body. 
Uh, finally, we do have a Discord server for Worst Bestsellers listeners that you can access by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the link to the Discord. Uh, it is a great place where folks talk about all sorts of things like episodes and books and CW TV shows a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Big discussion right now of the Doritos and Riverdale. Oh, boy. Which I'm here for, always. Um, by the way, if you want to talk to me personally about Doritos on Riverdale, I'm at Renata Snacks. Um, dur- if you want to talk, the Doritos are the snacks. <laughs> if you want to find me on social media, I'm at Fourteen Across. And where can folks find you guys? We are also known as the Bellwether Friends, and you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Bellwether B E L L W E T H E R F R N D S. Lady Whistledown redacted the I E on us. <laughs> I can be found on Twitter at Surly Spice, S-U-R-L-Y-S-P-I-C-E. And I am absolutely here for all of your Dorito discussions. And if anyone (laughs) in Canada wants to send me extreme dill pickle Doritos, please DM me. I'll give you my address. (laughs) (laughs) And and my address. Um, uh, You can find me at Helga Grace, H-E-L-G-A-G-R-A-C-E. At most most places i i had a viral tweet a few years ago that keeps coming back so you might just see me on instagram (laughs) (laughs) all right well it was lovely to talk to you again glad we've made it through a a year of pandemic and and our worst best friendship remains unaltered yeah i look forward to talking to you again next february or march The yeah. best kind of worst friendship is you get together a year and it's as if no time has passed. Yeah, Hooray. that's true. Um, all right. Well, we, uh, Kate and I, will be back in two weeks with uh, Divine Evil by Nora Roberts, which I'm keeping my fingers crossed will maybe be the horny book I've been waiting for. But realistically, I probably just need to get going with my Sarah J. Mass book. Yeah. In my, <laughs> in my own time. But uh, thanks, everyone. Um, Bye. 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 Bye.